The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. We're so grateful to be with, uh, with you tonight and have you with us for a very uh, special Wednesday Night Live. Uh, Michelle and I have been wanting to do something like this for a long time with, with Dr. Roger. Uh, just sit him down and ask him hundreds of questions. Yeah. Uh, and, and the truth is, you know, on the stage right now, there's a lot of experience in, in ministry. Uh, Dr. Rogers g- coming up slowly but surely on 45 years in the ministry. Uh, Dr. Michelle, uh, the September after next, next year is celebrating 30 years yeah. of ministry. Um, yes. I'll be hitting a teenage 15 years here <laughs> next year. And uh, so there's a lot of... Um, wisdom here and and just wanted to build the discussion tonight around um, challenges and overcoming Mm. challenges um, in our personal lives and in our ministries and as Mile High Church celebrating 60 years uh, this year, which is uh, pretty incredible as well. And, um, you know, we're all facing a challenge right now with coronavirus and moving through. So we just thought it'd be a good topic tonight. And Roger, you kind of started off on Sunday. You told this powerful story about early on in your ministry, oh, yeah. uh, struggling if you were do, in the right place, and uh, you led us in a wonderful process based upon um, that passage in Isaiah. And you know, whether you want to talk more about that or others, would just love to, to start with that question of just some of the key challenges that you faced in ministry and how you overcame them. Thanks, Josh. Well, you know, I've shared a lot of uh, stories about my path, and I thought I'd, I'd try to see what the, the main ingredient was. And, you know, it, it occurs to me that in my personal journey on this planet, uh, just about every challenge I've faced has been a test of or an opportunity for the enhanced discovery and expression of my heart. Uh, and it, it, all along the way, sometimes I knew that, sometimes I didn't know that, um, sometimes I stumbled onto that, um, but it seems like mine has been a journey and a path of discovering and then opening and then leaning into new revelations and new challenges and new opportunities to discover heart. And I was thinking <laughs> about one one particular instance was in 1972, and uh, the, the vote center was being built at the time. And I was over at DU, and I was uh, about halfway through my bachelor's degree, and I had completed, um, kind of early on, I completed uh, a major in psychology, because I thought maybe I wanted to be a psychologist. And uh, my advisor was talking to me about, now, you know, keep taking certain classes, because obviously with a psych major, you're going to want to get a master's and probably a PhD, and... uh, so he was laying out his path for me, but I'd uh, go back to my little room and I'd, I felt this sinking feeling like there's no way I want to do that. <laughs> Not just because it's a lot of work, but I just, something in me said, no, and that's not it. What you've done is useful, but that's not your path. Um, and that's when I uh, scheduled an appointment with my beloved mentor, Fred, Fred Vogt. Um, and uh, Fred, uh, said, you know, you can't hide from this, Roger. You've, you love spirit. You love God. You, you love this teaching. And uh, he'd had me up on the pulpit doing readings and prayers and things like that while I was in college and such. 
I'm kind of baiting me along. Uh, and uh, he said, you know, just ask yourself if you're going to be really happy in your heart of hearts if you follow that path uh, and not the one that seems to be within you. And I, it, you know, as he was saying that, I knew, I, I told him, I'll, I'll ponder that, I'll pray about that. I knew already um, that he had brought me into connection with that. So at that point, I uh, took on a second major in religion and I knew that I had found the mother load of my path in my heart because I couldn't get enough of it. Um, all the various different courses, I just gobbled them up. And I would have kept going, except my parents said, enough of this. Get out of college, you know. <laughs> and uh, so that was, to me, an early lesson around doing what you really love. And I want to ask you tonight, are you doing what you really love? And I bet you you're having time to reflect on that. Um, we've got oodles of new time on our hands. And uh, it's a very important question. Are you doing what you love? And it involves a lot of, you know, trust too. You know, Joseph Campbell teaches this idea of where you see a path laid out for you, it's not your path. Yeah. You, know, you have to step uh, with, with trust. And I'm guessing that, you know, what followed that was a uh, trust walk, a faith walk for you. Absolutely. You got to cut your own path from, your, from the direction of your heart. And then I was remembering in, in 1976, I had uh, completed... Um, the two years after my uh, undergraduate degree in our seminary there, in, in which the only one at that time was in Los Angeles next to Founders Church uh, and uh, the Institute of Religious Science. We didn't have all of the campuses we have. We now have a campus right here that Dr. Michelle leads, the School of Spiritual Leadership for those who feel called to the path of ministry. But at that time, we only had one. And I'd finished the two-year program. And uh, I remember the director of placements wanted me to uh, go and be the minister of the Santa Barbara Church. And so on a Monday, I drove up to Santa Barbara. It's about an hour and a half away. And I arrived at this beautiful building. I said, oh my God, this is gorgeous. And I, it was Monday, it was all locked up, but I pressed my nose against the window and I looked in various windows. And it became very apparent to me that this was a well-organized um, church. Uh, and and I, I panicked. I thought, I'm not up to this. I barely know what I'm doing, and they want to send me here. Um, and then I went home and I thought about it, and, you know, it wasn't just fear that had me go a different direction, although I'll be honest with you, there was a bunch of that. But it was the realization that in some way in doing that, I'd be skipping a bunch of steps, mm. and that mm-hmm. uh, there was important stuff for me to learn prior to being in that kind of a situation. So I took this little group of 25 people uh, up in Oregon with no assets, and I turned down this wonderful church with a great heritage, a beautiful facility, um, and uh, the director of placements was irate with me. But, you know, now that I look back on it, my heart said, do this the right way. If you're cut out for this thing, don't skip steps, um, even if somebody wants to put you in that. And I... I constantly think about the lessons I learned in that little church as we grew it and eventually bought a church up there and um, the love affair we had going. And, and I just don't know how that would have been if I'd have been in an already set up kind of a deal. And so many lessons that I uh, have later reflected upon all through this wonderful journey. And I now get that that too was following my heart um, and, you know, sometimes it might seem like a big boon to be um, put in some 
wonderful position. But, you know, I knew my consciousness had to grow. And, you know, if you put yourself in a position that's beyond your consciousness, it's not going to work because your, your experience always levels out at your consciousness level. So I need to do a lot of work, uh, not only my skill sets as a minister, but I had to do a lot of work on my consciousness. And, and that's what I got to cut my teeth on up there. And I'm forever grateful to those wonderful people, the very few of whom still are around and still stay in touch. That was another lesson of heart. For me, that's been my path. And of course, in my book I write about, and I've shared maybe too many times, about the ultimate heartbreak, which was the ultimate, in my path, breaking open of my heart. And that was in 1981. I'd come back here to Mile High as an associate minister in 1979 after being in Portland three years and um, had been in a relationship for three years and we were going to announce our engagement and then it, she just ended it. Um, and very abruptly and wouldn't see me for quite a long time, a couple of years. And um, it was a deep grieving, deep anger. It, it was a very challenging time for me at many levels while I was also trying to be a minister and help people with their lives. <laughs> and here I was struggling at the deepest of levels. And, uh, and I got some great comments from people along the way urging me to take a deeper look, that it was more than what she did to me, um, that there was a deeper answer. And, that began to happen when I saw that the relationship wasn't the high-quality one that I was touting it to be, that it was good. We were both angels teaching each other essential lessons, but it wasn't for the long haul. Um, and it wasn't what I was seeing it and talking about it as. Um, but more than anything, I eventually arrived at the some ultimate realization that that path, that whole excruciating experience, was telling me that I didn't have a fully opened heart. And it wouldn't invite people in. And it wasn't, and I needed to do that work if I was going to have the great relationship I now have um, with my wonderful Erica. And so, to me, that is, again, another challenge, but it just keeps coming back to this theme, you know, mm -hmm. of follow your heart, listen to your heart, consult your heart in these challenging times. How, how in touch with you are, are you with your heart? I mentioned a little bit of that on Sunday, that I think we have to have an inner Zoom meeting with our heart. Is, my, is fear closing my heart or is my heart still open? Mm -hmm. you know? um, and what guidance, what healing energy, what sense of possibility lies waiting for embrace in my heart? Uh, so, so those are just some other among the... I've had many lessons in my life, many challenges. <laughs> well, I, I love that they follow the same narrative, and uh, I've been you know, sharing a lot. And uh, Michelle and I got to do a talk together where I shared a favorite sentence from Ernest Holmes where he says, dare to lose your small affection. And that's uh, been a huge yeah. story in my personal life and my ministry is always whenever I get to the point where I think I can't love anymore, mm. spirit comes in and says, you you need more room in your heart, Josh, you know, to open and, yeah. and grow and find that narrative. And I uh, want, want to get back a little bit to your, your story, Roger, but uh, Michelle, what's coming up for you when it comes for that, that question of some challenges that, that you found perhaps early on or um, recently in ministry that, that you've overcome? Well, I find that uh, what I hear Dr. Roger talking about, like the through line of uh, growing and deepening can often be the same through line in one's ministry and personal life and and I think mine's somewhat similar to yours Roger in that um, I find that the lessons that I've, I've 
learned the most have been about connecting with people mm. and that I can't do this thing alone. And it's a, it's a, a kind of a double meaning in that I can't do it alone without the people that I'm connected to, without my family and life, and that I can't do it alone without this divine presence within me. Yeah. That the ego uh, sometimes falls into the trap, whether we're living any kind of life, in any profession, in any relationship, in ministry, in anything, thinking, I can do this, I can do this. And the minute I get caught up in that, um, I can get lost. And, and so, uh, like you, I felt that in those moments of crises, that it wasn't about consulting various people in a frenetic state. It was about consulting something deep within me, yeah. about allowing people in my life to, to walk with me through that crisis. I remember uh, one particular moment in my ministry, which was the day that 9-11 happened. Mm. And I was in Arizona and uh, we were starting a Beyond Limits class that night. That we, we, we were starting one of those classes and we were getting phone calls at the church from people saying, are we gonna have the class? Are we still gonna have the class? Are we gonna cancel the class? And I remember feeling this feeling of, I don't, I, I'm so stunned by what's occurred. I, I don't know how to lead. I don't know how to minister right now. I'm, I'm in shock. And I'd spent the day with some ministerial colleagues. And, um, and when I, I was talking at the office, I kept saying, we're going to have the class. We're just, we're going to have the class. And we came together and I remember uh, we talked principle and we talked spirit. We talked science of mind. But the underlying thing that was true is that we were together mm -hmm. and we stood with each other. We stood together as a community. And in my ministry, every time some crisis happened, whether it was in our church or in the world, what I noticed is that we felt better when we came together because we could be in the energy of each other and connect our hearts and just even hug and smile with each other and feel that connection. And so I'm deeply aware that right now we're going through another kind of time of crisis where we're even more powerfully challenged to feel that deeper guidance because we can't necessarily be together. I mean, I'm blessed that I get to be with you guys and I'm on a zillion Zoom calls a week <laughs> uh, like a lot of us are and I can see people on the TV and I have a wonderful husband at home and I have animals and at the same time I know that a missing for me is missing my friends and missing social time and missing hugging and uh, and connecting with people uh, but the the through line continues to be a deeper opportunity than for me to feel that presence within me that inner guidance yeah that, that's calling to so me. beautifully put mm -hmm. you know the heart is a pesky thing because it very often um beckons us to what seems extremely uncomfortable. Yes, exactly. I mean, I had to work so hard to pry you two away <laughs> from your very successful ministries, you in Scottsdale, you in Seal Beach. And I, I, I just had to pray to your hearts that you could let them go because I've had to le let congregations go Yes. Mm -hmm. because my heart was saying, there's another arena of service here. And, you know, my intellect wanted to doubt that and said, why can't I love these people? Well, I can. Mm -hmm. And yet life calls me to something more. And, and I'm so glad you guys finally, although it took a lot, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. But finally, you did that. And, and, and I love you for it. And I know our congregation loves you. And, um, yeah, the heart sometimes 
sets up some interesting challenges. I remember also, I was reflecting today in 2008, um, uh, my mom passed. And uh, she, she had been a wonderful practitioner here at Mile High, practitioner emeritus. She had been on the board of this church when the boat center was opened. Uh, extraordinarily loyal, loved this place. And um, she, uh, she passed on a Friday. And actually, um, according to her instructions, we, we let her go because the doctor said she's not going to recover. And the life support, you, it's your choice, but she had directives. And so um, on a Friday morning, we allowed that to happen and did some ritual, put her practitioner stole around her and did some ritual and stuff. And, um, and then, then Eric and I came home. I remember sitting on our deck feeling numb um, and wondering, okay, it's Friday and I'm speaking Sunday and I wonder if I can get Marge or Patty or Raz or Lloyd or somebody to speak on, in my stead. Um, and then something in me said, oh, no, no. You get yourself in there, although it said it a little more frankly than that. But it said, you get yourself in there and you speak. It sounds like Delma's that's, voice. That's your, <laughs> go to bed. That's your, that's your extended family. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I tore up the message I was going to do. Well, I didn't. I put it away. You never tear up a good message. No, 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 um, no. But I, uh, I wrote a new one <clears throat> called Lessons in Eternity. And I just came out and uh, I just pulled up a chair right out here. And this, we had just opened the sanctuary f- f- just for months and just shared about my mom and about my own grief and uh, about perspectives on the ongoingness of life. And it was it, it, at one level, it felt like a, a very difficult thing to do. But in another thing, it was so healing, too. It was a part of my healing. And, and, the, and you know, the, so again, the heart, if we're willing to follow it and not cover it up, it takes us where we need to be for what we need and for what we what, what we can give. I had, still had people talk to me about that that message and sure. how it. I've I've heard a lot about it too, yeah. and uh, you know, hearing you know the narrative kind of developing here, this idea of being able to step into your own path, uh, even though you don't know where you're going, following your heart to lead you mm-hmm. there, and you know the perhaps the most difficult part of, of ministry of letting go and something yeah. you both have in common yeah. is that mile high has been this anchor point for you. Right. And uh, Roger, you, you know, you left in ministry to go to Portland. You came back, you left for a time and went to Huntington beach and, and came back. And, and last year, although you're still part of us had to go through the letting go experience yeah. of being our senior minister. And uh, uh, this was one of your first jobs. We even shared in the green room about getting uh, laid off after working here a few, a few weeks <laughs> And then coming she back, was a so, problem employee, you see, <laughs> no, no, no. And from from receptionist to senior minister. So I, I'd love to hear a little bit more from from both of you on just you know, your relationship with Mile High and and what it was like to um, both come back, at leave, or or whatever that that was, and that that relationship with the incredible people that make this church what it is. Mm-hmm. It's hard to leave this place, isn't it? Robert? Well, I've done it <laughs> twice, and mm-hmm. uh, both were excruciating. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. But then again, the heart knew that a chapter here last year, a chapter had come to a close. And I knew that a year and a half or so prior. And then I just put this elaborate plan that I forced everybody to go through, <laughs> put this plan together to do it. Um, and it was very difficult. I grieved for a long, long time after that um, and stayed away just so that I could adjust and so that 
the church could adjust to the new thing. And um, But you know, um, now I enjoy helping out whenever I can here. And as I've said, I'm on your team during these interesting times, whatever you need of me. And it's been good for Erica and I to return and um, just experience being a congregant and hugging on folks, which we intend to do at some point months down the road again, mm -hmm. and uh, enjoying our beloved Mile High. Um, I, I physically left Mile High, but I don't think I ever left it. And I haven't left it entirely still. It's, mm -hmm. it's alive in me, but I have a different relationship with it. And I still love it as much. And a lot of, as I look at the, the path of Mile High, this is such a heart-based congregation, a heart-based community. Oh, my God. Um, what we have been through and what we have done. Um, I got a list of, of a few of those, but I want to defer first to Michelle um, to pipe in before I share a few of those, time permitting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I feel the same. I, even though I left Mile High, it, it never left me. I mean, even in those few months when I was uh, laid off and went and did another little job for a little while, uh, I still came to church. I was a member of this church. I still volunteered. I was still part of it all. And then when a, a position opened up, I came back. And, yeah. and um, like you said, the heart's, the heart's call can be excruciating because when I graduated from the school... Dr. Fred said to me, you know, Mitch, we'd really love to hire you here, but I think you need to go out in the world and be a minister for a bit and come yep. back. And much like you were describing, yep. I uh, made the excruciating, excruciating decision to leave here. And it made it a little more uh, comforting to know that you and Erica were where I was going because you were at Huntington Beach. Mm -hmm. That's where I got to meet this wonderful young man, uh, Reverend Josh. And so I had some wonderful adventures at, uh, at Huntington Beach and uh, left Colorado. And, but I followed my heart. My heart knew that it was right. And, um, and very similarly, when you invited me to consider coming back, uh, logically, it made absolutely no sense whatsoever. But from that inner guidance place, it made absolute sense. And that inner voice said to me, I think this is your next step in ministry. And I was really shocked by it. But that's the thing, is that when we really listen, like you're talking about, uh, we find our truth. And yeah. even though the truth can be excruciating and tough and challenging, um, and when I came back, it was so wonderful <laughs> to see that there were still quite a few people I'd known sure. from all those years ago being here and new people to meet. And there's a spirit about this place. There's, uh, people say it all the time, there's nothing like it. We hear from congregants who move away and say, well, right. I'm happy where I am, but there's nothing like Mile High Church because it's just such a unique place that yeah. we've all contributed to being what it is. I think it's pretty Absolutely. powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, we're we're talking, you know, ministry, but these are our life lessons we're talking about yeah. too. Absolutely. It's how to live and that's been a an essential lesson for me um in living my life past it, 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 is sometimes we think we can choose the life that we live, but sometimes it chooses us. You know, and I I remember a, an article several years ago by David Brooks in the New York Times that he says, you know, for some people life is Jack Kerouac's on the road and it's all about <laughs> following your own path and making it uh, your own way. But for other people it's uh, it's a wonderful life. You know, the story yes. of George Bailey and all these things happening and his plans going away, but discovering that heart of life. And I found ministries like
like that. And that, that was my experience of being called here. I was perfectly happy where, where um, I was. But when Roger expressed his vision to me, you know, I kind of paused and went, I'm, I'm screwed. <laughs> you know, because, uh, not because I didn't have this wonderful place to go to, but see, that's, that's ministry sometimes is you have to go where you're called. Sometimes you have to open your heart up even more. And I, I say that jokingly because it, the message was if I would have tried to stay where I was at that point in life, it wouldn't have been the same. It would have deteriorated and life calls us onward into right. greater things. And I'm sure, Roger, that's been part of the mile, uh, the, the, the life of Mile High Church, yeah. you know, ever growing, ever reinventing itself. Um, and, and I'm sure there are a lot of stories to tell about that growth in life. More lifetime. than we have time for. But I tell you, <laughs> you, the wisdom of what you're saying is that it's very easy to get attached and, and we cling um, with fear. But um, our intuition, which is grounded in the heart, is, is the voice of the heart, um, participates in infinite intelligence. And really, the only way we can know what our minds don't know is to listen to our hearts and, and to let that intuitive guidance show up. Mm-hmm. But Mile High is a work of heart, just as our bookstore is titled. It's, it's always been that. Um, and I have so many lessons about that. I remember one time, though, when Fred and the church were posturing to get out of the theater. Uh, I first started um, attending when we were meeting in a 500-seat theater on Wadsworth called the Lake Ridge Theater. It's gone now. And um, Fred would always complain, well, they're going to show movies in our church, so we've got to get out of here, you know. And we had the bookstore was set up on the concession stand and all of that kind of crazy stuff. And they'd have to bring out the pulpit on wheels and the organ on wheels. But we may do. <laughs> And, uh, but Fred said one time, I want to, under my, on my, what I want under my Christmas tree is a church. So the, the, the board started going off in search of land to find it. And they'd, they'd look at this parcel, this parcel, this parcel, this parcel. Finally, one of the board presidents, George Lentz, um, called up Fred and said, Fred, tomorrow's Saturday, we're going to go and buy land, you and me, for this church. And by golly, they did. And they looked at a couple of places, stumbled over here to... Alameda and Garrison and bought the eight acres that was the initial Mm. plot Mm -hmm. of the land. And I've always just loved that. You know, sometimes you got to trust your heart and make a decision Mm -hmm. in life and and not double, second guess it. You know what I mean? Yes. And then uh, a little while later, um, I, I came back in 79 after my three years in Oregon and was an associate minister with Fred. And it was becoming apparent to Fred and me that... We had to build something bigger than the vote center because it was stuffed with people, two services. People were being turned away. Um, and so I, Fred said, well, I don't know if we can build something bigger on this land. I said, well, let's get more land here. And at that particular time, there was two plots available. And it was six acres on our northern park, which is our northern parking lot now. And there was the two acres right on the corner on which the, the Monview Inn, an old restaurant, sat and a little liquor store next to it. And so we bought, we, we, we did a fund drive and we raised part of the money. We took out loans and we bought those acres because there's nothing we could do if we didn't have more parking mm-hmm. space. And um, I've always loved it, by the way, the church used to own a liquor store. But at any rate, <laughs> um, so uh, we started to improve and it was a big job to improve that acreage, um, leveling it, putting in the utilities, the curb and gutters, extraordinarily expensive. Uh, and then the, the 80s oil crash in, in mid-80s occurred. And um, the bottom went out of our local economy. And uh, the funds stopped flowing in. And uh, 
it became apparent to us, we had designs for a new sanctuary back then. Uh, we weren't going to be able to build it. And uh, so what we did get done was this vast new property with underground utilities and lots of parking, but no building. Right. And there was a lot of scuttle. But, you know, anytime things don't turn out exactly as planned, there'll be people who chit-chat and naysay. And there are a few folks who say, well... You didn't, you had us get all this, but we didn't build a building, and you'll probably never build a building again because of that failure. Failure, well, it was just a delay. Uh, it wasn't a failure. And uh, so we made do, and we, we got through that time. And when I came back in 1993 to be senior minister, um, the church had had some financial troubles and some other uh, internal challenges. One minister left, and a bunch of mile hires followed them for a short time, and and that's what Erica and I came back to. Um, but you know what? I knew the heart of Mile High. And I knew our principles. And so I just sat down with the board and I said, all right, we're not going to build anything until we get some things done. And we need to handle our finances. We need to achieve a certain... We listed all the goals. And I said, and then after that, um, we can consider expansion. And at the same time, I, I said, we're going to take the high road with this upset and these people who left and this minister. And I, I started meeting with him and let him share his upset and listen to him. And, and we as a congregation um, did a, an adventure in faith that we reprieved here uh, just before I left called Bridges to Breakthrough. And that was for the congregation to heal and to accept change and to send love to those folks. And a couple of things happened. The finances turned around because we just took a stand and we set goals and we wouldn't overreach. And, and, then, uh, and people started trickling back. Having Roger Teal as your senior minister might have yeah, helped that a little that bit too. Did help. <laughs> well, excellent messages. And Dr. Marge and Dr. Patty yes. were right by mm -hmm. my side, mm -hmm. and they started trickling back. And then in uh, 1996, we were in such good shape that we um, designed the community center, and mm. opened it in 1998, and put to rest that whole thing of well, you'll never build a church now because you failed that one time mm -hmm. in that project. And then, of course, ten years later, we were able to create this and open right, this right. so you know it's just a matter in our lives of keeping connected with our powers on our hearts and if things don't work out as planned you just keep following that heart mm -hmm. you know and you keep going that's why I know Mile High is going to be just fine through this because gang we are we are of heart here mm -hmm. <clears throat> and we, we remind ourselves in our community that we're of heart that we can get through anything um as long as we stay here and we, and we love one another and we practice what we talk about each and every Sunday, that it is done unto you as you believe. And look beyond circumstances. Don't let circumstances define you. Keep your thinking beyond that. Deal appropriately with what is. Wear the masks. Um, do the distancing. That's appropriate for what is. But let's be dreaming and let's be open. Let our hearts um, speak to each one of us about what opportunities are are here for us in these times. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's one of the, the beautiful aspects of, as you call it, the heart of Mile High, is that we all have our own heart. We all have our own individual journeys. But the, the wonder of the spiritual community is we have a shared heart um, as well, that we have that, that ability to not be in this alone. And uh, yeah. I have no doubt this is certainly a challenge that we're going through now, but we're um, passing it with flying colors. You know, we have yeah. such a generous congregation, um, so many wisdom folks. And, and for me, it was always a role with a, a church. When I walked into a church, I'd go... Um, 
show me the past board members. And if they're still there, I knew it was a healthy church. And even, <laughs> even today, for example, I know Susan Letourneau was an important part of yeah, that, okay. that community, uh, center. community center building. She and yeah. she's our treasurer now and, and helping to lead us as mm-hmm. well as, you know, Jim Cornelson and so many great yeah. board members, so many great people in this community uh, that, you know, even for Michelle and I, you'd say, a, you know, a year into lead minister, uh, uh, it's, it's challenging for us. But we couldn't be more supportive. We've got We're the best supportive. toolbox in the world, uh, best minister uh, we know, uh, and to be able to utilize your assistance has been so great uh, as well. Um, Mile High is very blessed, and I know since we have a shared heart uh, that you're blessed as well, that we're all blessed. And um, Michelle, do you have any anything else to say just about us as Mile High Church and overcoming uh, what's present for us now? Um, I think that it's just been so wonderful to watch as we've all created outside-of-the-box ways to feel that connection, to feel each other's presence through these online services, through classes, through groups that have been meeting online, through all the ways that people are connecting. I think we're standing with each other, and we're standing together at a time when we could be tempted to stand away from each other or feel disconnected from each other. And I know that sometimes people feel lonely or disconnected, but it's just been so um, wonderfully heartening to just feel how connected we really are. And we're standing together, and we're standing with everybody, and uh, there is great heart here, for sure. You know, at times like this, you find out what you really believe. Exactly. And what I know about Mile High Congregation is... And I know some are new and are just getting involved in this incredible transformational uh, path. But mile hires know what works. They know principle. Mm-hmm. They know the spiritual laws. And they have heart. Now, you, you combine a knowledge and a, and a willingness to practice spiritual law with heart energy. Unbeatable. Love and law. Absolutely mm-hmm. unbeatable. Mm-hmm. Can I tell one concluding story? Yes. yes. Do we have time? We do. Well, we want you to know, too, we're not done with you. And so we hope to continue these conversations <laughs> as, as, as well. But we, we'd love to have one more for tonight. Oh, good. Good. Well, this, this is, this, some things that have happened on this path have been just so outrageously funny. Like the first funeral I did, and it was such a blizzard, and we had to drive to Longmont, and we couldn't find the grave in the cemetery. You know, things like that. Calling a groom by the wrong first name and it ended up being the first name of the bride's ex. You know, life is full of these things. But one was um, when I'd come back in 93 and we were shoring up the church um, to be senior minister, shoring up the church. And one thing that we hadn't finished earlier on was we hadn't renovated the Vote Center Sanctuary. We'd renovated everything around it, new classrooms and everything, but we stopped short of the, the sanctuary itself. And uh, so I was teaching a, a, a Beyond Limits, a basic Science Mind 1 class. And, uh, on, and it was near the end of the class and the, the, the students all did projects. And we gave them a piece of poster board and they would do some sort of project uh, on it that signified their growth or their vision. And so on break, as these projects were all lined up out in the lobby, I saw one poster board and it showed the vote center it was an artistic rendition of what would be possible with a light wall, new entrances, um, clouds, and everything. And I thought, who did that? And one of the practitioner assistants said, well, it, we've got an architect in the class named Bob Engelke, and he did that. I said, bring him to me. And so they brought Bob to me, and I said, Bob, um, this is what we want to do. Can you help us do this? He said, sure, I'd love to. I'll, I'll work up drawings, and you can show the board. And we did, and 
you know, it, was, it wasn't the most enormous project, maybe 150,000 or so, but where we were in our progress, it was important to do that. And we did it, and what you see over there now is by and large what Bob had envisioned, and it had been much different earlier on. And anyway, Bob then um, served a term on the board. He was a wonderful guy, a funny guy. And one time I told this joke um, about a pig, and Bob loved that joke. And uh, every, almost every time I'd see him, after he was done with his board stand, he'd say, tell me the pig joke again. <laughs> so I'd tell it to him, and he'd laugh like he had just heard the darn thing. Well, sadly enough, Bob developed lymphoma, um, and uh, um, after a while, he did make that transition into the greater life. And uh, so I met with the, they asked me to do the memorial, and I met with the family, and we were designing it. And the family said, well, he did leave some instructions. He liked this kind of music. And he then said he wanted me to tell the pig joke at his memorial. Oh, no. I said, he wants what? She's, you've, that's what he has right here. You're to tell the pig joke at his memorial. Oh, my gosh. I remember the pig joke. <laughs> so I did. Shall I tell it or? Oh, yeah. Sure, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We might save it for the offering, but I, I think it's, it's suitable now. <laughs> Should we, yeah, we, maybe we better get the money first. What do you think? <laughs> so it's about this farmer and his wife who uh, bought a female pig, and they, they're thinking of going into that part of their farming, um, raising pigs, and, but they didn't know a lot of the basics about it. And so they called another family up, and they happened to uh, a farm nearby, had, had, had a male pig, and they, were, they had been raising pigs. And uh, they asked if they could bring the female pig over to be with the male. And, and the, the other family said, sure, we'd be glad to do that. So they, they put the female pig uh, in, the, in their truck and drove over to the next farm. And uh, they put the two pigs together. And then the two farming couples had some lemonade out on the porch. And uh, during their little get-to-know-you conversation, the, the, one, the, the, new, the novice farmer said to the experienced one, now how do we know if this has taken having our pigs together. And, and the, the experienced farmer said, well, here's what you do. At the first light of day, get up and look out at the pen that you've got your pig in. And if she's um, laying down, it took. But if she's walking around, it didn't take. And so the next morning, the farmer um, elbowed his wife, says, Ma, get up and look out there and tell me what that pig's doing. And she looked out the window and said, ah, Pa, she's up walking around. So they loaded the pig back up in the pickup and took it over to the farm and put the two pigs back together again and had more lemonade. Then they brought them home. The next morning, the farmer uh, elbowed his wife and said, Ma, tell me about the pig. And she looked at it and said, Ah, Pot, she's, she's up walking around again. So they loaded the pig up again and they took it over to the next farm and uh, put the pigs together. And then third day, elbowed his wife and said, Ma, uh, tell me about the pig. And she stared out the window for the longest time. He said, well, Ma, what in tarnation is that pig doing? And she said, well, Pa, she's, she's sitting in the truck honking the horn. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think that's a highly spiritual <laughs> message about enthusiasm. And yes. that's the heart of Mile High. <laughs> that's the heart of Mile High right there. Bob loved that story. I was a little embarrassed to tell it, but people loved it at the memorial. <laughs> ah, too. Well, it, and it, it, I do think that's the heart of Mile High. It's the, the depth of consciousness and the down-to-earth humor. 
put together for Absolutely. living our everyday and lives. And some of it's very poor humor. <laughs> it, it, it works. The compassion of the congregation lets us get away with yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. We are loved. And mm -hmm. uh, thank you again so much for doing yes, this with you, us Rob. tonight, Roger. And, My uh, pleasure. Thank you, Michelle. And so as we conclude our service today, I was reading recently that our brain doesn't know the difference between whether we're being hugged personally or whether we're just imagining it. So right now, as we conclude this service, I invite you to do one more thing, and that's to just close your eyes and imagine being hugged with great joy by us, by your friends at Mile High Church, by the people you come in contact with. And every time we imagine ourselves being hugged, the chemistry of that launches itself into our body and we can feel that deep connection. So please feel how we are hugging you, loving you, so grateful for you today. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, please visit us at milehighchurch.org. Have a fabulous day.